What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Sammy Deenden, welcome to the Indie Hackers podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are the founder of Hype Fury, which uh, you describe as basically the ultimate Twitter growth tool for personal brands. Uh, how much revenue is Hype Theory doing today? Um, 22K. $22,000 a month. And how long ago did you start Hype Theory? It's going to be two years in a few days. Wow. Cool. Pretty good milestone. That's uh, what $22,000 a month. That's something like $264,000 a year. And it's been two years. I think most people's goal is to like try to get to like ramen profitability in one year. And you've gotten to like that many times over in a couple years. Uh, so. I wouldn't call it profitability because I wouldn't call us profitable because we're spending a lot of money reinvesting most of the money we're making. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, in order to grow uh, faster. It makes a lot of sense if your business is doing well. I found you by looking you up on the Indie Hackers product directory, and then I had seen your posts on Indie Hackers for a long time. And you have like a very detailed timeline full of updates that you've posted about Hype Theory from the very first second you came up with the idea all the way through like last month when you hit, you broke through $20,000 a month in revenue. And the whole time it's been like, you've been super focused on growth. I mean, even early on in your history, you sort of like hired a co-founder, a low co-founder to help you focus on growth. So I'm not surprised that you're sort of reinvesting your profits or you're reinvesting your revenues. I think one of the cooler things about your business is that you're essentially helping people grow their Twitter accounts. It's a tool where you can go in, you can create threads, you can schedule tweets, you can do all sorts of stuff. Um, you're not the first company to help people grow their Twitter accounts. You're not even the first founder I've had on this podcast with an app that helps people grow Twitter accounts. And yet you've still been able in the last couple of years to get your revenue to a pretty like, high dollar amount. What do you think accounts for the fact that you can create something that's not 100% totally unique and yet still do well as a bootstrapped indie hacker? Well, so there are two answers to this question. First part is that I personally don't see Hyper as a way to grow your Twitter. For me, it's a way to monetize your Twitter. And there's a difference, you know? There are a lot of people who have 100,000 followers and they barely make any money, you know? So that's not the goal. The goal is not to have the biggest number. The, the most important thing is how to monetize your presence, you know. And second reply to this question is, for example, all the people that are using Buffer and Hootsuite and all these big Twitter automation tools, they are not 100% happy about the tool they're using, you know, even though they're using it. So there is always room to improve and to create something new and to create a new way to do things. And that's what Hype Fury did in the beginning. So when I started Hype Fury, at first it was just a fun project, okay? It had no uh, pretensions, no like crazy goals or anything. But I made some people try it. I was like, hey, I built this tool to schedule threads. Do you want to try it? And then they started giving me feedback and saying, hey, it would be great to add this, to add that. I want to do that or this. And then I was like, oh, there's... There's a room for a tool, you know, there's room for a new tool, for a new way to do things. And in, in the case of Hype Fury, 
what we did different is that we really focused on Twitter. Like if you use Buffer, Buffer is a good tool. It does a lot of things. It does Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all these networks. You know, it allows you to schedule in a very like shallow way, if you wish. Uh, it doesn't go, you know, deep into the platform. And what I did was going deep into Twitter. Let's talk about the actual process of you creating Hype Fury. I'm going to pull up your, uh, your product on Indie Hackers and scroll down your timeline and find your very first post where you talk about the fact that you came up with the idea. Uh, you were already on Twitter. You were already using other, basically, Twitter automation t tools at the time. And you wrote that basically you hadn't seen anyone else who had a tool that would let you create Twitter threads. So, you know, Twitter supports you not only sending one tweet at a time, but a whole thread of tweets that are connected to, like, create a story. And if you're using Buffer or using these other tools, it just wouldn't let you do it. You had to actually go to Twitter's native UI to do that. And so you said, okay, well, the answer is <laughs> nobody told you about any tool that could do this. And you started working on it right away. This is August 2019. What was your goal? Like, what did you think you were going to accomplish by building this tool that had this one feature that no other tool had? <laughs> uh, sad to say, but nothing. It was just curiosity, you know, and see, okay, let's build this, see how it's going to work, uh, see what I can do with it. Uh, back then, I had like a very complex posting workflow using Google Sheets and Google Apps Script. It's like JavaScript for uh, Google Drive and Google Sheets and Google Docs. And I used Buffer. So I had uh, this Zapier automation that reads from the sheet and does some stuff and then post to buffer and and I think I remember I think I remember when I literally created the MVP of Hype Fury I was like oh it would be great if I can scale my threads and then later on all this process I have on spreadsheets to to put it in a software and well, the funny part is that it took me one year to actually build the Google Sheets, the similarity, you know, the, the into high fury. But back then, like I was trying to do fitness coaching on Twitter. You know, I was actually doing fitness coaching. It was my side hustle. I wanted to do a side hustle because I had a consulting job that was pretty chill. So I wanted to do something on the side. And so I started using high fury uh, to, to help me post. And I also was part of communities. That's why I tell people joy paid communities. I was part of, um, something called, uh, Sovereign Uni. And it's basically a group of people who want to grow on Twitter and build new stuff on Twitter. Uh, I remember we had a Telegram group. Uh, so I posted high tree there and I gave everyone access and I did something on Twitter. It was like, oh, only 10 spots left or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to be part of these, these small groups of like people working together and motivating each other. Like almost everyone I know who's super successful has like some chat group where it's like them and like five friends and like, you know, there's. Some people are more successful or less successful in those groups, but it's like good just to have that cohort of people motivating you, kind of sharing their tips, pushing each other. Like we're social animals, we're social creatures. Like we're not meant to do things by ourselves. Uh, you mentioned that it took you a year to get Hype Fury to the point where it was really duplicating the functionality of like your own sort of ad hoc Twitter process where you're, you know, putting tweets and spreadsheets. Based on like what you posted about it, like it took you a few days. You said, I worked, I finished the MVP. This is three days after you posted that you came up with the idea. Uh, and you were super happy with it and you shared with a few people, but none of them used it. And then you paused a little bit more and found 10 people to join and you started getting feedback. 
And I think that's remarkable because like, obviously this is a cool tool today that's making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, a year in revenue. But like, it took you three days to get something out the door that actually worked and had the feature that you sort of envisioned in the beginning. I was, back then I wasn't even using like a theme. I was doing like plain HTML and CSS. First try to find the users, you know, but if you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go build it, build it in a few days. I'm not in a few months. It's just hard for a lot of people because it's difficult to draw the line between like, what do you actually need for that very first version? And what do you not need? And then a lot of the stuff you don't need is the stuff that people get the most excited about. Like people really want to have a flashy, glitzy website and they want to play with the colors and they want a really good name and they want business cards and they want like this feature and that feature. And you somehow have the discipline to like not do any of that, <laughs> have a super ugly website, super bare bones thing and have only one feature, which is the smart way to do it. Like most veterans do it that way, but people who are new usually don't know to cut all that other stuff out. For, for mm, five, six months, I didn't have a website, you know? Or maybe I had like some landing page with like coming soon or something like that. I I, I still remember we, I did the website in December. So I had Twitter account. I had uh, the logo was like a Pokemon. <laughs> it was the what is it called the Zap Zapados, right? Yeah. So that was the logo for six months before I got a logo. It was just like there. Twitter account, trying to hype stuff, post some GIFs, post some screenshots. But uh, yeah, you really don't need all that stuff. All you need is users. And if you find like, you know, three users, they can start give you feedback and then you your vision could, you know, change because Hype Fury when I created was a thread posting tool, but now it's not, you know. You can still obviously post threads, but... Posting threads is not like a business, you know. Nobody wakes up in the morning and say like, oh, I'm going to schedule some threads. Amazing, yeah. you know. Well, I think it's cool that you're able to start so small. The advantage of doing that is lost on a lot of people who are super embarrassed. Like, I don't want to build something and then be embarrassed to launch it. Uh, and so I got to add all this stuff. But if you do it really small, like you can kind of skip that whole process where you're embarrassed to launch because... You can't be embarrassed to launch something that took you three days. <laughs> you can show it to anybody and they'll be like, oh, this looks like shit. And you can be like, yeah, it took me three days and over the week. And I'm like, oh, okay, 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 I get it. You know? And they'll they'll judge it based on the amount of time you put into it. And so it's way better to to keep it small. And it also helps you like hyper focus on like whether or not people like the value that you're creating. You know, if you have like all these cool bells and whistles and like 15 features and people kind of sort of like it, but kind of sort of don't. It's going to take you so much testing and questioning to figure out like what they do and don't like about it. But if you only have, like you did, like one feature and it's like not even a website, like basically nothing, then it's like there's not that much for people to critique. And if they stick around, like you know like what your killer feature is. If they don't, you know you need to go back to the drawing board. What was the process like for you when you launched it and you sort of put it in the hands of these 10 people and they started giving you feedback? Back then, it was pretty much they request something, I put it there, you know? As long as it's not something like too crazy, you know, that doesn't make any sense. At some point, you had to have some sort of switch in your attitude, though. I mean, like, if you just have like, this curiosity you said you had, and you're like, okay, what if I built this tool? How would that work? Uh, and then you start switching from that to collecting feedback from users and iterating. I assume at some point you decided, you know what, this could be an actual business or at the very least a product that people enjoy using. And looking at your timeline on Indie Hackers, it seems like that was like sometime in the first three months because you built the product in August and then by November you had connected it to Stripe probably or something like that. 
and started taking payments and got your first 20 customers. So what was it that, that convinced you like this could actually be a real business? It was more in the first three weeks than three months. I, I still remember there were some people who were using it daily. Like they were using it more than I did, you know? That's when I was like, yeah, there's something here. Like if that guy is not using Buffer or Hootsuite and he's using Hype Fury, well, there's something there to do there. It would be stupid not to keep working on this project. Did you have any vision at that point in time? But like, hey, maybe you're not going to do fitness coaching. You're going to do this and this is going to make tens of thousands of dollars a month. Not back then. I was still trying to do my <laughs> fitness side hustle on Twitter. It was actually back then when like I got like one expensive coaching client. That's what that's when the business like the coaching business started to make sense. But mm -hmm. I had to stop like afterwards. I was speaking to uh, a great friend who was like, "Dude, stop working on this fitness thing." You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at your Twitter. I have a I have this app for Twitter called Tweemax, and if I go to anybody's profile, it'll show me sort of their all time most popular tweets. And your most popular tweet was November uh, 2019. So basically before around... Before after. Yeah, your before and after. It was exactly around the time that you decided to start charging for Hype Theory. So you're, you're working on this, trying to decide whether or not to quit your coaching business. And you got this before and after shot of you sort of looking pudgy and kind of sad. It's like the classic before photos. Like the lighting's bad, it's dark, and you look unhappy. And then the after photo, you're like shredded, you're jacked, you have these huge muscles, you're smiling, you got a great hairdo. Uh, and you said me before and after. How? Eat meat, read daily, lift weights, own your shit, don't eat for fun, start a side hustle, wear clothes that fit, invest in your education, sleep eight hours every night, cut out distractions while you work, and replace video games with a purpose. So at this point, it seems like your purpose was make this hype theory thing into a real business. What was it like getting these, these first paying customers in the door? Because uh, I think a lot of people are afraid to put a price tag on something. You had this app that you've been working on at this point for a few months, and you still hadn't even officially launched it to the public. Like, I don't know if anyone could, like, you didn't have a website. Like, people couldn't just go sign up for Hype Fury. You're, like, inviting people and, like, you know, pitching people to join. And you decided to put, like, a, a sort of paywall on it or, like, a timer. So, okay, you can use the product for this many days or use this many features. I'm not sure how it worked. But then you released it and it got 20 paying customers within the first few days of you turning on the billing. How did that feel? Fucking amazing, man. <laughs> <laughs> what can you say it's amazing when you see that somebody is giving you their money uh -huh. that's like that's like the ultimate validation i knew there was something in the product because i was seeing people using it every day but again when you set up the payment also i was relieved because i wanted to set up the billing since like so long but i was postponing every time because i was busy working on features and working on the app. So um, I, I set up the billing. I used ServiceBot. I created my Stripe account. I didn't create an LLC or a company or I didn't get a logo. I didn't see a lawyer. I didn't do all that stuff. I didn't do any of that for any hackers either. I just started building. So you, at some point, uh, decided to stop working by yourself. I'm curious, what, what is your skill set? You're doing all this by yourself. Uh, you're a software engineer uh, by trade? Yes. Okay. So you have the software engineering skills. Uh, and then you decided, you know what, like, that's not enough. Uh, in December, so this is four months after you started Hype Theory, you made a post on Andy Hackers. You said, I'm looking for a marketing slash growth person. 
He said, Hype Fury is a Twitter growth tool. It's kind of like Buffer on steroids, making $500 a month at the moment. So that's awesome. Within four months, you're already at $500 in recurring revenue. Uh, I'm looking for a partner who can take care of the growth so I can focus on the product and the development, which is kind of a cool post to make on Indie Hackers. Like that's one of the most common posts that people make looking for co-founders. And that's where I met my co-founder. The story was simple. I was almost burnt out. Like I was working all the time and uh, doing the development, doing the support, doing the calls because I've been doing a lot of calls. Like every every person I knew, I was like, "Hey, please uh, introduce me to someone who could use Hype Fury." So I was doing this with everyone, and I was giving demos, and like the demos were like thirty minutes, one hour, sometimes two hours long, so, so I can understand what people want, etc. Also, I was doing the support. Also, there were like, it was still too young to have too many bugs, but then the, I started to have bugs. At some point, I almost had like PTSD from intercom notifications. Jeez. And I was like, uh, I don't want to do that for another year. You know, I've done it for six months. I don't want to do it for a year. So I was like, hey, let's build like a real business here and not, and not be the only guy that does everything because... Like it was obvious that as the product grows, I would have more support to do and more bugs to fix and more features to create. So I was like, okay, let's set up the foundation for a real business here and, uh, you know, and uh, do something about it. Also, there were all the competitors popping here and there. So uh, what was it like when your your co-founder reached out to you? I mean, did he just like message you on Twitter or email you? Like, how did you actually meet? He emailed me, yeah. And we we liked each other really uh, fast. You know, we were really a great match, you know. Uh, and he flew to Paris, like, I don't know, a few days later. So uh, we're both into the bootstrap mindset, you know, not raise money or anything, try to build a product. I, I spoke to many people for this co-founder position who were like, oh, you know what? We're going to sell a course for $500 to 20 people and then it's 10K a month. I'm like, yeah, but I want to do SaaS. I want long-term revenue, long-term users, recurrent revenue. I don't want to make quick cash. And Yannick, my co-founder, wasn't into that mindset and that's something I liked about him. He promised that he'd start after a few weeks, he'd work for free. And uh, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So yeah, that's how that's how it happened. It's pretty cool you were able to convince them to work for free. I mean, it's not like you had enough revenue to pay to pay either one of you at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It was his personal bet, you know, into joining. He tweeted actually about it. It's his words, so it's not mine. But it was his way of really like making it happen, basically. So let's talk about the aspect of your business where you're talking to customers. You mentioned uh, in those first months, you were calling people constantly. And I think this tends to get kind of neglected, you know, like in the early days of people's businesses. Some people start businesses and like, ah, it just never really worked out. I didn't get any customers. And there's people like you and you're like, yeah, I had, you know, 20 paying customers a few days after I launched my paywall, you know, and yeah, I had, uh, you know, 100 users, you know, in a few weeks. Uh, And people are like, oh, that's cool. I guess you just got lucky. And it's like, no, (laughs) actually, you were calling people dozens of times a week or a day or whatever. Someone should totally do this. Uh, give me an idea for like a startup, like first customer as a service. Where like you're a startup founder and you're an indie hacker. You're like, I've had no customers. <laughs> you go to this website, you pay them like a hundred bucks or something. <laughs> Suddenly they, you know, send someone to you to become your first customer and like you're losing money on it, but now you've got a real person using your app 
And maybe that'll get some of these developers who are not motivated to talk to their customers or actually move the ball forward to be motivated. Because it really does change Like once you get that first person who's like expecting things from you. And it's a little bit more like a normal job. Now you have real people who care about what you do and your work matters to people who are more than you. And it's not just discipline that motivates you, but it's also social accountability and, and excitement and status and reputation. I mean, like you went on to, you know, obviously hit like $10,000 a month in revenue last November, and you've doubled since then to over, you know, $22,000 a month in revenue. How much of that growth was due to like your marketing efforts and testing all these different channels, affiliate marketing and podcasts and SEO and that kind of stuff? And how much it was to building the right features in your product because you're talking to customers and understanding what they want? I think marketing is better because one year ago, we already had a good product. Like you can have an amazing product if you don't have users using it and people and people don't know about it, like it's completely useless. So the product and the marketing should go hand in hand. Yeah. You know? People underestimate and, that too, especially developers, because it's like if you're a software engineer or anyone who spends a lot of time on the internet, you like you tend to know about things pretty quickly, right? If there's some new framework that comes out, everybody talks about it. Doesn't matter if you live and California or you live in the Middle East, like you're going to see a post about the software framework and talk about it. We kind of assume that that's how like the entire world is. Like when new things are out, everybody learns about it and everybody knows. But the reality is like word travels slow and you could have the best product for Twitter power users out there. And 99.999% of Twitter power users have no idea you even exist because you're not marketing. You know, like I, I went to a restaurant actually in Seattle the other day with my buddy and we ordered the chicken fried steak. And it's like one of the only restaurants in Seattle that has chicken fried steak. Like it's just not common here, even though it's a delicious and I love it. Uh, but if you go to Texas, everybody eats it all the time down there. And it's like, I don't know, for whatever reason, like the marketing for chicken fried steak just hasn't made it up <laughs> to the Pacific Northwest yet. And like products are the same way. Like even if something exists and it's good, not everybody's heard of it. Not everybody, you know, is going to adopt it until you get the word out and cause it to spread. I'm curious how you knew how to do all the right things. Like, how did you like, how did you know how to build, you know, an MVP? How did you know that you needed to find somebody to help you take care of the marketing? Uh, had you already built online businesses before? Were you reading books or listening to podcasts? Or did you just sort of intuitively grasp the right decisions to make? I'm still like, I still have to ask myself the right questions. Like, are we on the right path? You know, we have done some decisions that were not smart, you know? <laughs> so, you're, you know, you can always make me say, so always be asking, is what I'm doing the right thing? You know, is it serving my customers? Is it serving my vision? Right. You know? So, you talked about marketing being super important. Uh, and I made like a list of different, like the different growth channels that you've written about on your Indie Hackers timeline. Uh, you've talked about affiliate marketing. You've talked about tweeting and creating these huge Twitter threads that do really well and promote hype theory there. We've talked about having a course that you offer to help your users become better at Twitter. You have a newsletter, uh, the podcast. Out of all these channels, which one do you think has been the most useful? We are on Twitter. We are a Twitter tool. So we have to be on Twitter. Like it wouldn't make, even if it sucks, we, we should be on Twitter because it wouldn't make sense for hype theory not to be on Twitter. Do the things that don't scale speak with people, reach out, call email, call DM, ask for introductions. It's very powerful. If you have a user, ask them to uh, introduce you to two or three other people who could use the product. And that's really powerful because since you are introduced, they are less likely to refuse, you know, to speak to you. 
if you if you ask for three introductions, you know, there's a big chance that one of them is going to go lead to a demo and then you can do something out of that demo. So if you want something like really quick right now, speak to people right away. Uh, yeah, don't expect a podcast to bring you users like in a few weeks. Like it's impossible. Uh, a blog, you know, SEO takes time. So yeah, do the things that don't scale. Ask for introductions. On the product side of things, things can be kind of frustrating too. Um, like I've built productivity tools in the past. Uh, and one of the things that people tend to underestimate is churn. You know, if you're building something to help people become better at their jobs or better workers, uh, if you're building a to-do list app, if you're building a Twitter scheduling tool or a Twitter power tool, it actually requires your users to be pretty motivated people and to wake up every day and say like, I'm going to tweet, right? And if they get bored of Twitter and bored of tweeting, then they're going to stop using your tool <laughs> and you're going to have to deal with churn. Uh, how do you deal with that at Hype Fury? Because I'm sure you get a lot of people who have that exact process uh, go down. Don't, don't don't you don't say that word again, or I'll have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> Man, churn is a nightmare, and so many people underestimate it. Like it's crazy because there was this SaaS frenzy, this recent SaaS frenzy on Twitter, where people were like, "Oh, just find you know one thousand customers paying you fifty dollars, and then you're gonna make it." make 50k a month i'm like yeah sure of course <laughs> yeah sure is it's there it could kill you it could kill your motivation your psychology you know at some point we had like 12 percent churn and that literally meant that when we had 800 users 100 users left per month it's huge it's a lot of people and if you have so many people giving you their credit cards to build them and then take it back, that means the service you're promising is not the right thing, uh, is not what it is. Or you are promising something to people who don't need it. So you need to review your product and your message. Be more straightforward, more clear in your messaging, you know. Don't try to serve everyone, you know. In our case... Uh, we were trying to serve people who are trying to start their brand. And it was a bad idea because, you know, it's natural that most people who start something fail, you know. So we had all these people who are just starting to grow and then they just fail and or just stop or just like, I don't want to do it anymore, you know. I want to be on Facebook, so I can't, I don't use Twitter at that point, there's nothing you can do. You know, it's not about your product or... Yeah, there's literally nothing you can do about it. So it needs to start from the top, you know. It's the messaging. is who am I trying to serve? What is my pricing, you know? Because if you sell a server, a service for five bucks, of course, you're going to have people who, are, who just want to try it out and then leave afterwards. The, the, the solution where we're trying to find is increase the pricing offer more power user features, focus less on people who are just starting out and more on people who have not necessarily established brands, but maybe people who have enough skin in the game that won't leave tomorrow. People who have 
maybe 500 followers and maybe they have already a product out there like a new book on Gumroad and they're making some money and they're like, oh, this Twitter thing, it really works and I need to just to put more effort into it to, to grow. And not people are like, oh, I'm starting from two followers who are my real life friends and I don't know how to do this. I have no product. I have no idea where to start <laughs> from. So may, maybe for these people, you can offer something for free, you know? You can offer a free product, and that's actually what we're going to do. So you've built this company from scratch, where it was just an idea, it was a curiosity you had. It wasn't even an ambition to build a company, and today, uh, you've got you and your co-founder, you've got lots of you know part-time and contractor employees, full-time employees, you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, what's your general advice to people out there who are listening? You know, and who are struggling to come up with an idea, who are struggling to get started, who are in the very early stages. See what you like to do, what things you like, get into the niche, get into the community, speak to people and see what they need. Keep your ears and eye open, you know, because there, there are opportunities everywhere. Like before I started Hype Fury, I didn't start anything, but I, I always had that mindset of what problems can I solve? You know, and remember that there are thousands of ways to solve a problem. And a user who uses like Buffer doesn't mean he loves Buffer and he'll never quit Buffer. And the proof is that when Hype Fury, you know, was built, I still remember a user canceled his Buffer subscription to use Hype Fury back when I wasn't even charging for it. It's such a small hurdle to get over. You know, it's like a mindset shift or just the right motivation or the right idea. And then you go from thinking about building something to finally just doing it. And then everything after that, you know, you might be fucking great at. But it is a tragedy when people get stuck on that first step. And hopefully people will listen to your advice and get over that hump. Sammy Dindon, thanks for coming on the show. Can you let listeners know where they can go to uh, find out more about Hype Fury? Uh, yes. Twitter, uh, well, hypefury.com or uh, twitter.com slash hypefury. Check out our podcast on Spotify. Yeah, if you don't want, if you don't know how to start, you could start with our podcast. It's a great way. We also have a, an email list with actionable growth tips. So it's not like just advertisement for Hypefury. It's really, right. uh, we try to give as much uh, free advice as possible because in the end it helps us, you know? So start with that, hypefury.com, Twitter slash Hypefury. All right, thanks again.